Amen. Thank you, Zoe. Uh, that's enough for me anyway. How's everybody doing? Wasn't, oh, worse it was. Oh, it's not like, oh, yeah. That was, I, I am a wee bit biased because, I mean, let's be honest, Journey Down Patrick's my favourite, but I just, the presence of God, I mean, I know we've anointed worship leaders, but really they get to step into what God's doing here, right? You know, just saying. And I just, I mean, I think I could even get up there and sing and be anointed. I'm only joking. <laughs> Um, uh, sometimes God help those guys who I'm right there at the front and I'm a few uh, octaves out or whatever that is. Um, but I just want to encourage us to to keep stewarding that. I mean, I I genuinely believe for us as a church, as a house, as a as a community, everything has to be centered around the worship of Jesus Christ. Now that musically happens, but also throughout our obedience to him. But I just feel like we will win this town and we will win this nation by, by the songs and the worship that he gives us. Because it puts a language on things that actually sometimes people can't necessarily get up and preach and do. It, it ushers us in. The, the Psalms usher us in because it's the raw, real you know, song of humanity. And I just really feel like as we as a community keep doing that, keep stewing it in, put, get it on in your houses, get it on your homes, sing it over your kids and, and everything that may be. That It doesn't matter if you can sing but worship and I just want to encourage you I just felt like this morning was steward the presence because it's the reason we're here not anything else so you do see that it, can I get turned down a wee bit I think it may be a wee bit too loud am I? Um, you do see that it's stepping in two series now we have been over the past number of weeks and we're coming to a close towards the end of March on that as well but I want to take today a wee bit of a step a side step if you like out of that so we'll park that series although it might have a lot of uh, overlap to it. I want to just take a bit of time. I really felt like this, the, particularly for this this week, um, we were supposed to have Asman down, but again, Asman's with COVID, so you can pray for him and uh, just continue to pray. But hopefully, we'll maybe see him down in the in the near future. But as I was just praying for this morning, as I was going like, God, what do you want to? In, in short notice, what do you want to say and do? And and I really feel like he just spoke to me. And and Zoe mentioned it this morning, the phrase hope. But he spoke to me particularly that this is a time for hope. I don't know about you, but our world needs hope. Our communities need hope. And right now, hope is needed throughout the nations. And he's the God of hope. And I just feel like this morning that we have to just talk about this. We have to go after seeing an invasion and an infusion of hope in our community and us. Does anybody here want any more hope? Because I know that I do. I know that I can never get enough and I want to get more of it. And um, a lot of this is going to be centered around, if you do have your Bibles, we're going to go to Jeremiah 29. But I want to read Jeremiah 29, 11 says, and we all know it, we quote it. I think it's one of the first scriptures we know when we're like, yes, this is it, right? And it says, it says this, I know, for I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, to not harm you, to give you plans of a hope and a future. I mean, that is incredible, right? It's the declaration, the promise of God is like, I have plans for your life. I have more for your life. I have a hope for your life. The God of hope has a hope over your life. Everybody say that. God has hope for my life. Right? No matter if you feel like you've lost hope, he has hope for you. Nobody's ever a lost cause. So we still know that this to be true. That he's still a God of hope, that he's still a God who brings us into our futures and our destinies and that our lives, our towns and our villages will be transformed. That's the hope we get to have. That his kingdom is advancing, his kingdom is unfolding and where the news is that there is a God who wants to bring you and I hope. And as I was thinking about this, uh, this promise and this, and this, this verse, 
I was really, really struck with the reality is how do we have hope in the midst of circumstances that don't look very hopeful? And it is obviously a matter of perspective, but how can we possibly quote that verse when what we see happening in Ukraine and Russia, how can we begin to, and this, this tension sort of rose up, that how can we say that God has plans to prosper and not to harm you when reality of war is very real, right? Does anybody else think that? How do we, how do we hold this promise when our circumstances are saying something different. And I mean, that's, if we're all gonna be real and honest, that sometimes is what comes up in our Christian life. When we read the promises of God, but our circumstances aren't very promising, right? How can we say, and I'm being real, and this morning I wanted to put a lot out on the table, is how can we say and quote these scriptures to a young family who's been displaced from their homes in Ukraine, who's having to tra- travel, I don't know if you've seen the story where the, the 11 year old had to travel so many thousand miles to, to he left his mom and he had to go stay with his aunt. And how can we quote these? Is, is scripture changing? Is, is God changing? Is, is God no longer who he says he is? And we know that's not true. And I remember growing up, I, when I first became a Christian, you just take every scripture you can and you don't really care about the context and you just, you know, you just take it and you go, that's, that's what this means for me, right? And, I, and so many times in my life, I'll be honest with you, I've used this to give a false sense of hope. To use this to give us some sort of belief that if I live a life full of faith and closeness to God, the bad things won't come my way. Anybody else thought that, Right? I used, to, I, used, I used to use it to rally up some sort of belief that, you know, the closeness of God, if I have faith, then, you know, our, our futures and our lives will, will be filled with no harm, no, no, um, nothing that is hindering our prosperity, right? And yet when bad things do come our way, when there are struggles, there's pain and loss, it often leaves us wondering, is this happening because I'm not close to God? Is this happening because I don't have enough faith? Or is God punishing me? And we know that this isn't true. God doesn't use punishment in order to control you. you no, know, because he wants to give you a life in the future, but he, he wants to do something different in his plans and his sovereignty. See, every single one of us is not immune to the hardships and struggles of life, right? But how many of us are willing to know that hardships are not a direct result because of our lack of faith? You see, it may be that loads of insecurities and, and, and conflicts and things that are arising because of our unwillingness to trust God, or maybe if you're like me, the spirit of stupidity sometimes that comes upon us, right? But my point is, is that the amount of hope that we can have in life isn't dependent on our circumstances. And what is going on in, in our world right now is, is a very real circumstance that we go, oh, this isn't offering me much hope or whatever X, Y, and Z, right? And I believe in Jeremiah 29, it shows us the reality of what hope can look like in the midst of hardship. That scripture and the God and his kingdom is, isn't about offering us false hope, a hope that buries your head in the sand, but a hope that actually comes in the real in the midst of realities. You see, God isn't afraid to shy away from our real context, even when we are. God has, wants to speak in his word into our very real context when we don't have the language to, or anything to, to comprehend. So if you want to read with me, Jeremiah 29, 1 to 4, it says this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried away in the exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
This was after King Jehoiachin and the Queen Mother and the court officials and all the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted this letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gamariah, son of Halkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those who I carried into exile from Jerusalem. To Babylon, you see, the important thing is the context of this is really important. The context to, to that promise that, that God gives all of us and his people is that this was a time where there is the second exile, if you like, it was 10 years after the first exile, but it's the second exile, the invasion of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And this is a time where the people of God were invaded. It's a time where the king had been captured, but it's also a time where their places of worship, their homes and their cities had actually been destroyed by the Babylonians. It's a time where the people of God were captured, captured by a foreign country, seeing their leaders and that which they know familiar, all displaced throughout their, home, their homeland, okay? And as I was reading this, I couldn't help but see a vast similarity of what's going on today, right? We only have to read the news and we see what's going on in Ukraine. We go, the displacement at a mass level, the war atrocities at a mass level that are happening. And actually, that gives us a modern perspective of actually what mass displacement and war might look like. When we read scripture, it sometimes can feel distant, but we're living in a day and an age, you know, I don't think any of us are, were alive in World War II, so, you know, I think we're seeing now actual, uh, you know, a modern example, if you like, of what, what scripture might be talking about. You see, we're seeing millions of people displaced from their home, but fleeing to foreign soil. And in Jeremiah, he was speaking about a similar, similar scenario, and it says this, it's, it was a scenario where God still declared to his people, a people who were in displacement, a people who... Uh, were being uprooted in, a, in an instant overnight. This stuff wasn't just over, you know, over a period of time and they got to pack all their, we're seeing it's just up and you go. That God was still speaking and he isn't silent, but he speaks in the midst of this. And he says to his people through his prophet Jeremiah, he says the daring words, hey, my people, I still have plans for you. I still have a hope for you. I still have a future for you. He's not oblivious to what's going around, but he still will speak his words over his people. Not shying away from pain, very real pain and, and, and trauma, I'll use that. But, but God is willing to speak into that scenario and say, hey, I still have plans. I have a hope for you. I have hope over your life. I know the now looks hopeless. I know now it looks like there's a power above you that, that, is, that, is, that you're under its control. But he says, no, I am the greater power and I have the hope and I speak with your circumstances. What has happened in both you know, what we read here in Jeremiah but also today didn't catch God off guard, by the way. He didn't just wake up and go, oh, read the BBC News app and go, oh, I didn't see that coming. But actually God, and we, 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 for us it was, if we're real, but we're not God. And so many times we think God is on our plane. And actually so many times what we will see is God wants to take us onto his plane and his perspective. And God isn't, and I feel like we have to talk about this, God isn't afraid to, to deal with our very, very real realities and questions and conversations. God doesn't just want us to come in and, and, and sing, here's our living hope, and then you know, be all nice worship songs. And we say, God, you're good, you're good. But then when we talk about what's going on in the world, well, God doesn't want to speak into that. 
God, God can't handle that because, you know, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you know, he doesn't want to speak into the harshness of, of our realities and the, and the ser- seriousness of our circumstances. You know, just because we're afraid to look at it doesn't mean he is, but he wants to speak into it so that actually we make it his perspective and we make it hope in the middle of it. You see, Jeremiah spoke directly into the, 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 the Israelites' uh, reality the people and the displacements, but he didn't shy away from the fact because he wanted to give hope in the midst of hardship. And if you're taking notes, the first, I believe Jeremiah 29, you can, you can go through a comb and you'll probably get a, a whole year's worth of stuff out of it. But I want to give us three perspectives, if you like, on hope. True biblical hope, what, not false hope, but actually what the hope God wants to give us and wants to give us in this time to the nations of the earth and us as a community. So if you're taking notes, hope doesn't deny reality, it embraces it. Our hope is never meant to be built on what's going on around us, but rather what he, that he is faithful to move in the midst of it. A lot of us have grown up with a belief, maybe this is just me, so I'll, I'll repent from it, but if, you, if you're there, you know, a lot of us grew up with this belief that if I accept what's going on around me, it actually will be seen as a lack of faith. Anybody else had that? If I accept the circumstances for what it is, instead of being able to see what it could be or wishing it could be something else, and it's a lack of faith. You see, accepting reality isn't a lack of faith because Jesus didn't come to create an alternative reality, but actually came to move through this one. Now, let me explain, because I know that might sound like some sort of philosophy weird mumbo-jumbo, right? But our society is obsessed with alternative realities. I'll speak to you Marvel fans. Alternative multiverses, reality versus, you know, three Spider-Man showing up on the one movie. What just happened? Anybody else's mind blown? For you guys, you don't know, it doesn't really matter. Or the reality, you know, it's maybe not explain it, but for the older generations, Groundhog Day, the, the same current reality, you know, that, it, that doesn't, life doesn't move on, that we're stuck in the same loop, right? But some of you may not know that there is a race on in the world right now to create an alternative reality. Facebook, I don't know if you noticed, if you're on your app or whatever it may be, they changed, they're no longer under the umbrella called Facebook. They're under Meta, Metaverse. They want to create this new universe that actually this new alternative reality. We all have virtual reality, right? You know, everybody knows. Remember when you were a kid, you grew up and your parents says, don't stand so close to the TV, right? Well, now they give you a TV basically that's this close on your eyes, right? And we, you know, anyways, I just thought that was, I just seen a meme about that the other day. But this is a platform, this alternative reality that the world is racing to create, to get the monopoly on, if you like, is creating a platform where we get to set the boundaries, where we get to create the parameters of this life. You see, it's a platform where people get to dictate their own reality. But how many of us know we don't get to do that, Right? See, I believe it's a society that is largely struggling to accept reality because it's actually really our desire to not know how to process pain, but to also escape it. But fundamentally, I actually believe it's down to, it's a society that has a lack of hope. It's a lack of hope that is causing people to ignore this reality and go into another. Proverbs thirteen twelve says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. In other words, when that which we are hoping for doesn't come to pass, our hearts become disappointed and hopeless. So what we do is we decide to try and create another reality so that we can control the outcome. But true hope in the kingdom isn't wishful thinking for a reality as we want it, 
but the expectation and the assurance that God wants to come and transform this one. That's our hope. We don't know the circumstances, the outcomes. We don't, we can't, anybody here that does their five-year plans or projections and we, we, we want to, and we are to plan our lives, by the way. But hope is not in, in the, the, the plans of man, but actually the hope is in Jesus. The hope is in that he wants to come and move in this one to see his kingdom come. And if you're following along, in, uh, Jeremiah 29, five to six says this. This is where God shows us how he wants to move in the midst of, of both trauma and pain and struggle and hardship. And actually this is the hope that he offers. It says this, God says to his people, build houses when you're going into exile, when you're going into that foreign land, Babylon, right? Not many prophets will be saying this. He says, see that place where you're being brought into exile? Do this, build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not, de- and not diminished. See, God was telling, I mean, I, I read that and go, what? God's telling his people who are being displaced from their homes. The very real reality is that their land's been invaded. The business has been destroyed. What they knew before is no longer the case now. To build, to plant, and to grow families where they find themselves. That's not very encouraging, is it? And then the Lord spoke, he says, because I still want you to move through life. He's doing it, you have to get on with life. You have to start living life again. He's saying, I know where you're at is hard. I know the circumstances. I'm not, by the way, condoning that anybody submits to a totalitarian government or corruptive regimes. That's not what this is saying, okay? But what it is saying is, I know where you're at. God is saying where, where you are is hard. I know you've been hurt and there's pain and loss, but I will be with you. I want you to accept where you're at so that you can move up through life. I want you to build. I want you to grow. I want you to, to, uh, to create a healthy family so that you don't live stuck in this perpetual, I wish what was. God wants you to accept what is so that you can move on with life. And too many of our society are stuck. Anybody else felt stuck sometimes because the way life is is not the way you wanted it to be? But God is saying, no, hope is not hoping for what can't be or what isn't. Hope in the kingdom is accepting what is no matter how hard. So that we don't, we live in this perpetual stuckness, if that's even a word, that it's like, I want to, I wish life was like this. And we get so hopeless and so helpless. But what do we do? We come along and say, yeah, keep hoping. The word just says hope for it. If you, if you can dream it, if you can wish it, you can see it, you can have it. Actually, there's a, there's a, there's a whole philosophy out there that is the, What's that? Manifesting, yeah. It's that if you can see it, you can have it. Is it that phenomenon, the secret or something, right? Remember, there's always a perversion to the right version. Okay? The world is seeking how to become unstuck. True kingdom hope is not wishful thinking. It's the accepting of the reality is, and I know we don't like hearing that. But I'm not here to, to rub your wounds. Um, we're here to be pastor. We're here to move through life. And that's what God does, no matter how hard the situation. But guess what? God, he said, so that you may, is it still there? So that you may be increased there, not decreased. 
God isn't saying that you go and accept the law of the land and you, you, just, you just go into hopelessness and this is what is and, you know, okay. And, you know, it just becomes this lethargic and I'm, I'm no longer going to start, the, okay, this is my circumstances. There's a difference between accepting your circumstances and having apathy for your circumstances, okay? And God's saying, I, I'm not destining my people to stay there. I'm not destining them to lose hope. Instead, I've, and I haven't destined for my church to dwindle in numbers either. See, in every search situation, every trial, God has destined his people to increase. But what does that mean? Just because the circumstances might be hard, just because the ground that you've been called to might be tough, or the needs in the area too great to meet, God has destined his people and his church to thrive in those circumstances. No, regardless of the circumstances and how hard they may be, he's called and his kingdom to come for a thriving. That's the backbone of the church. It's the backbone of us. How can we have hope is not dependent on our circumstances. It's dependent on the one who lives on the inside of us. That's, that's the you know, living hope that we sing about. And it's not a thriving that denies what's going on but it's actually a thriving that when we're in a hard situation, we grow from strength to strength, glory to glory. And it's only when we accept where we're at, we can grow from where we're at. Too many of us have this wishful thinking, anybody else get humbled, but usually kids humble us, you know. You're so ugly, why are you wearing that for? You know, or, you know, you can't really, you're rubbish at that, right? And we, we just, you know, they just cut you down, right? And you're like, man, anybody else have a reality check sometimes and we don't like it? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's called your firstborn, right? And we go, oh. for us guys, it's usually called the mirror. And you're like, I don't know, you know. New year, me, new me, no. Summer bottom, all that, right? Yeah, right. You see, if you could put that back up, God has asked us to increase and not diminish. He's destined us to grow in hope. That increases in hope, but that increases also in numbers. He called his people into exile so that they may increase in hope, but they may also increase in numbers. He didn't call them in to be, to be watered down into the Babylonian culture. No, he called them in for something else. And this is what we see. He says, before I go into that, hope and numerical, let me say that, hope and numerical growth are inextricably linked because those with the greatest hope have the greatest amount of influence. In fact, I believe hope can be the birthplace for revival. And so when people carry hope, when people have hope on the inside of them, and we know he has a name and we know he's Jesus, it becomes the birthplace for other people to be influenced by that, to see something on the inside. Do you ever be around those people? I mean, you've probably been told, the mentors and the leaders, the people that invested in your life, you just saw something different than we all said, Right? What about hope? Did you see hope in their eyes? They didn't have a perfect life, by the way. Usually they're the ones who cause you the most influence or the ones who you know, have all sorts of hard, hardships in their life. But for some reason, they just were able to have this backbone. You go, oh, I want to be around you. You've seen the living hope on the inside. It wasn't just an idea or philosophy of having hope. Hope has to manifest in a kingdom way. See, maybe you're here today, you know what, and you're going, life hasn't turned out the way I've hoped. You've hit your midlife, 
We'll not say the C word, right? Crisis. And maybe you feel, you feel stuck. You're struggling to accept the way things are at the moment. Maybe it's the rising cost of fuels. Maybe it's uh, food, whatever it may be, taxations. You're worried about your family's future. Or maybe you're here and you've made a few mistakes along the way. And you wish you could undo the past few years. Anybody else been there? God wants us to accept where we're at or what has been. Not to be in a place of hopelessness or giving up, but so that we can move forward by placing our hope in him. That becomes an exchange that takes place where I, I, I move from placing my hope in what are my circumstances to actually placing my hope in him who is in my circumstances. Massive difference. In fact, I, lo- I love this quote that uh, Don Basham, I don't know who he is, I've just seen it, and I thought it was amazing. So if you do context and you realise he wasn't a good guy, because that sometimes tends to happen. They say wise, people, say, or people say wise things, but then they don't buy a bit of wisdom, right? It says this, Our hope lies not in the man we put on the moon, but the man we put on the cross. I'll say that again. Our hope lies not in the man we put on the moon, but the man we put on the cross. That's not just talking about Neil Armstrong, right? For you Americans. It's not about how great we are, how great what we can do. The far ventures that we can go. Sometimes we're chasing the moon because we don't even know how to take care of Earth. We're chasing Mars because we don't know what to do with what we've got. I think we need to learn to steward what we've got before we just pursue the new things that you know, we want to have and we just destroy more of it. But that's just a different conversation for another day, right? Too often we get stuck because our hope is in our own plans that we struggle to move forward in his. True biblical hope, as sucks as much does to hear it sometimes, is we move forward by placing our hope in him and not on ourselves. And when we do that, we actually become people of hope. If you're taking notes too, is we are called to be a people of hope. The church, you and I, we are called in these moments, in this time for hope, we're called to be a people of hope. Do you know that? You're called to be a person of hope. I don't really have much hope right now. Stop looking at your circumstances. Look to the one who lives on the inside of you, right? We are called to be a people of hope. <laughs> we're called to be a... We're called to be people of hope. People of hope are dealers of hope. You see, our society is addicted to worry, addicted to medication, addicted to escapism. But God is looking to raise up a people who are willing to see the hope that is in them passed on to those who are around them. Do you know our community needs hope more than ever? Not just the nations, but our community. Do you know your, your families, your friends, your circles of influence need hope? I know a lot of us here today need hope. And do you know it's our mandate to see the people in our community experience hope? Not just know about it, but experience it. Experientially, hope is not just to be talked about. Hope is to be lived, is to be experienced, is to invade. We need an invasion of hope. And actually, in, in, in what's going on in Ukraine right now, I'm seeing so much invasion of hope. I could sit here and tell you all those stories of of bombs hitting the ground and not going off, disappearing in the sky, the church is singing on the I could tell you, we all could. Hope sometimes shines brighter in the darkest places. 
But for those who are hopeless and helpless, God wants to use you and I to awaken hope on the inside. Maybe you're here today and you need hope awakened on the inside of you, not just to be known about it because I'm preaching something you'll already know, but I'm preaching something that leads us into an experience and an awakening of it. And God in 29, uh, Jeremiah 29, was calling his people to, this, to do the same thing in Babylon. 29, 7 again, God says things that just, you know, are hard to hear sometimes. He says, seek the peace, in other words, the welfare or the well-being of the city where I have caused you to be carried away to and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. That word peace means shalom. It's wholeness. It's, it's a body, soul, and spirit. It's, a commu- it's actually not even just for, for people, but it's for society-wide wholeness. In other words, see the people where you've been taken captive. I'm calling you to bring about their welfare and prosperity. See, when you read that, you go, hold on a second, God, what? You want to do what? You really want, you want to go and, and, and you want me to do what for the people who've invaded my land or the people who've hurt me? Surely they don't deserve it. Anybody become the Empress Almighty and go, no, God, I would do things a wee bit differently. Is that even fair? Fairness. Is that even justified? Seriously, God? God, if I were you, I would do it completely differently. But who knows? To the people of hope means we operate under a different kingdom. To be people of hope means we operate under a different kingdom. A kingdom where God tells us his people who may be in exile or hardship. Hey, see that place I brought you to? I haven't brought you there to punish you. I've brought you there so that it may be transformed from the inside out. You're my secret agents, my ambassadors of hope. Where to be ambassadors of hope? I have a plan that the world will see. What, what God's doing in the nations right now, he is moving in a way. He is using it to bring about hope in a whole new way. But stop wishing where you could be or where you were. See that land of milk and honey. Stop wishing you could go back, but rather will you begin to see the land of Babylon become a land of milk and honey? You ever thought about that? You tasted and seen the land of milk and honey. God's calling into a hard place to go, hey, don't wish you could go back to that place. You've tasted and experienced it. Why don't you, in an apostolic movement, that's what the apostolic culture mandate is, is why don't you take what you've tasted and seen and bring it in so that it may become a land of milk and honey? Regardless if they're doing all sorts of wicked, stupid things. Do you know God's plan is that Russia will become a land of milk and honey? But how many of us are honest really just want to see Putin assassinated or set? You all laugh because it's true. Some people are like, I know how to do it. justice will come because he is the God of justice vengeance is his but I, I watched a clip the other, the other day and it was a church where they had a Ukrainian and a Russian in their, in their church and they've been there a bit longer they didn't you know they, they, are, they are nationals are uh, born from the areas but I watched where God done something where they both began to sing and there was a unity and then there was another clip where, where teen, teens, although they were singing English so I thought, you know, were they, was it true? But it was a place where, where uh, Russian and Ukrainian teenagers were singing about the gospel in the same room. That where there's, a, there's cause for division that actually people, the church will unite and actually begin to offer a new picture and a new hope. You see, 
God doesn't lead us into the hard soil to punish us, like I said. But he wants us to partner with him to see it prosper, to see it transformed. And I really believe the best way this is described is St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick? By the way, he's not Irish. <laughs> no matter how much we try to steal him, right? He's ours. My middle name is Patrick. Born and down Patrick. My godfather's called Patrick. I've got the Patrick anointing, right? No, I've got the Jesus anointing. We all have. Don't know why I said that, but Patrick, St. Patrick's Day is coming up. He was, a, he was a boy captured in the Welsh or English countryside. I don't know my history too well. Slave boy brought to Ireland. Slaved in the countrysides. Had a dream. You know the story. Went hundreds of miles down to where he went down south. Got it back over across. And then God speaks to him in a dream. Through the people of Ireland to call. Young boy, will you come back? Will you preach the gospel among us? See that hope you have? See that God on the inside of you? Will you bring him back to us? That place where Patrick was brought to exile, he was brought back so that he, he may come in and know the culture, know the land, live amongst them to see it transformed inside out. That's the apostolic. That's what it means to be ambassadors of hope to give up our comfort and to go. Now you may be going, I'm not St. Patrick. Do you think St. Patrick thought what he was going to be doing when he responded to the call? Don't, don't do that. You see, we're all standing here on the back of one man's yes. I mean, God and his sovereignty, let's be honest, but that's what he did. We're all here because a, a boy of hope responded and one man's yes to ministering to people who invaded his land saw a nation get invaded by the hope of Jesus. Isn't it funny? It's like God's way of paying you back. He invaded with corruption, you invaded with the war trustees, and I'm not downplaying that. You know, there are, I'm so grateful for the churches and the ministries and the people that are responding at a pastoral need level. I'm never ever diminishing that. I really don't want to be arrogant to say that. But in the grand scheme of things, we do see that God does pay back in the ways that we would do it maybe differently. You see, Patrick prayed for his persecutors. Patrick not only allowed for his captors, or not only prayed for his captors, but he sought to live among them, to know them, to understand the culture, to understand the times and the seasons, and who saw the power and the presence of Jesus released in a tangible way. That's what Jeremiah went, meant in 29 when he says, seek the peace of the city. Do you know you and I are called to seek the peace of Downpatrick and the county down and all around and in Antrim and, and every other town that we're going to be called to? We have to be people that will seek the peace and the wholeness of the people in our town, no matter the cost, no matter the rejection, the backlash. Because if people hope, we have to be willing to see it released. Hope is to be experienced, but hope is to be given away. Now, some of you are here and you already know it. But God has spoken to you deeply about certain dreams and visions about how to bring hope to this community. You're here and you're sitting with dreams on your lap. Some of you are moving in practically to see that come. But when the rubber hits the road, when God presents an opportunity, how many of us doubt? Oh God, no, I couldn't do it, not me. Mm -mm. Nope. 
I was great when I thought about that then, but I no, 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 no. When the rubber hits the road, when the opportunity comes, when the tide comes in and we're able to step out, is God's going, remember that? You see, too many of us don't doubt in the dark what Jesus spoke in the light. Don't doubt in the dark, in the hidden, in the unseen moments what Jesus spoke to you in clarity and revelation. In fact, people of hope will steward what God spoke in the light so that they have endurance to overcome the things that are in the dark. We're to be hope bearers. We're to be people, and if you're taking notes, people of hope leave a legacy. When people of hope begin to rise to the occasion, when people of hope uh, begin to, to, to carry the mantle and, and see it released, future generations will reap the benefits. This is because people of hope are able to endure times of difficulty, which means they pave the way for generations coming behind them. God is calling us, he's calling you and I as a church to be people who leave a legacy of hope for our children. But the world's doom and gloom, I, I quote it, greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world, right? Are we going to practically believe it? Are we going to pave the way for our kids and our grandkids? to begin to see a future painted of hope. A legacy left where they can believe that something is greater than what is in the world. The same thing happened in, 20, in Jeremiah 29, 10, if you've, got, if you've got the notes, it says, after 70 years are completed in Babylon. <laughs> That's what I thought, huh? 70? I don't think I want to go now. I will visit you and perform my good word and my good promises towards you and cause you to return to this place, which is Jerusalem, this place of your land, of your inheritance. But sometimes God calls us from our inheritance so that that inheritance may be planted somewhere else and then he calls you back. But what's the point? 70 years locally in this text meant it represented a generation. It actually represented a lifetime. The locals would have been like, you know, when they talk about 70 years, that, that was a lifetime you knew. So the point is, the people who were brought in, some of the people who were brought in the exile, there would have been a generation who would not have lived long enough to have returned to their promised land. Sometimes people are called to plant something for the future generations to reap. But in our instant gratification world, and I'm preaching to myself, I want to know. But there seems to be a generation, now you're talking probably, you know, even hundreds of years ago, they built something, like when they were building the buildings of cathedrals, they built beyond themselves. In order for to be a community that, that leave a legacy of hope, we have to build beyond ourselves. We have to build projects. We have to, to sow into this ground that the people coming behind us will carry. But we have to lay something for them to carry something. We have to plant something, we have to build something for them to be able to carry it. The pioneers, but and we need the settlers to come in too, but it's, it's something about that when we step into it, but too many of us are going, well, not me. And, the, and, and it is this generation that God was calling to lay down their lives so the generations coming behind them would experience the kingdom of God. You see, it's where our ceiling becomes their floor. And it's this generation of hope carriers who are called to build, to plant, and to grow healthy families in the midst of hardship. I believe you and I are called to be this generation. I believe Journey Community Church across all our sites are called to be this generation.
in the midst of Ireland, in the midst of Downpatrick and Antrim, in the midst of these places where what we're doing is so countercultural, will we be called to be hope carriers? We're called to build houses of hope in this town, to plant seeds of hope in people's lives, and to grow healthy families so that the people around us can model what is possible. You can only become what you've seen or heard through what Jesus speaks through his promises. But we, how many of us, we want to build houses of hope? What about this becomes a community of hope? What about Journey Down Patrick becomes a place where people walk in and go, I can't the catch the hope that you have. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I know there are dreams and visions of, for people sitting in this room. Visions of, of a rehab centre, a counselling centre. Visions of a, of a community coffee shop. Visions of, of, of projects that are in our community where people get to experience the tangible hope and love of Jesus. The tangible knowledge and experience that the church is for them. That this community of hope is for them. That we seek their prosperity. We speak their well-being. We, speak their, we seek their wholeness. But too many of us are beating our communities around the head because they're not where they should be. False hope. Instead, can we, when they've lost hope, can we inject hope on, in, into them? How about we get hope for our communities when they've lost it? That's what it means to be a prophetic people. To see the gold, but also to go see the hope for their lives. When a generation lives to leave a legacy of the kingdom of God, it can't be diminished. And inevitably it will paint that picture of hope. Not only do I dream that every person in this community is one for Jesus Christ. Not only do I have that hope, I actually have a hope that he will do it. I don't just hope that everybody will be one and that we will see strategies break out in this time where sustainably we will see society-wide wholeness at every level of our society. I don't just hope in that. I hope in him for him to do it. Because he speaks, I know his nature that he do it. And I know he wants to use you. But too many of you are going, well, I don't have the same hope. Ask him for it. Ask him what he sees and how he sees your community, how he sees your friends and how he sees your family. I know what you might think of them sometimes. Or your firstborn. Is she in the room? No. You are. She's talking about you. And the whole world is searching for hope. Our community's searching. They're searching for the leaders and the communities that will build up their communities rather than tear them down. Do you know it's easy to it's easier to tear down than it is to build up? God's calling you and I to be builders of hope around here. Because if not you, then who? If not us, then who? Romans 15, 13 says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You don't just get hope at your salvation. You don't just get hope 27 years ago and hope that it's still alive on the inside of you. By, by dwelling and abiding in the presence of God, hope abounds. That word is like a never-ending, you know, continual cycle of it is, it is perpetual, never ceasing, never-ending. You and I, we can run out of steam, we can run out of hope, but can I tell you something? God of hope, he doesn't. 
And notice how it says, in believing that the God of hope will fill you with his hope. God's looking for a believing generation. He's looking for you and I to be a believing people in the midst of those who aren't. In the midst of the news that is, that is offering otherwise. A people who will believe and ask him to pour out finances and his power for the plans and strategies that he has to see hope released. Well, we believe that there is hope and a future for the people in our community. See, what narrative are we believing? Are we believing that the powers and principalities of evil are winning? Or do you believe that his kingdom is triumphantly advancing? It isn't about denying, and like we started, it isn't about denying the fact that war atrocities are happening. That loss and evil are taking at a mass scale in our society. It just denies them the final say. Hope denies them the final say. Hope is the final word. Hope is the dot, 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 dot. Story to be continued. It's moving. It's going forward. And it denies them the end of our story. See, when God says, for I know the plans, in verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you. He's saying, I know the plans of peace and wholeness I have, not for evil, but to give people hope in a future. He is say, he's not denying that evil and atrocities are happening. He's saying, it's not the end of my story. It's not the end of the story for your life. You might be here and you might be struggling. You might be here and you're filled with worry and anxiety. You might be here and, and you're, you're being hurt by people that are, that are ridiculing you for your faith. Whatever you may be, God's saying that's not the end of your story. Don't stay there. Accept, but let's move forward. Because when I know the plans, says God, that I have for you, it's for hope and for a future, not to dwell in those places. Even though they exist, I will never let corrupt hearts or the abuse of power have the final say. Not on my watch. The God of vengeance, the God of justice, but he's the God whose kingdom is advancing and he is called. Do you know his ability to move through you is greater than your understanding of being able to do it? Do you know it doesn't depend on what you know? What does he say? Don't lean on your own understanding. And, and too many of our narcissistic culture puts us at the center and our skill set at the center but how about we place his grace that is sufficient for you at the center? It's why he's calling us to be a people who believe, to believe for houses of hope, to believe for communities that are recon communities of reconciliation to be planted, to see healthy families grow, to see them restored. And we as a church have to believe that we carry that into our community. If uh, the guys will come back up. God doesn't deny the pain that millions of people are going through right now. He promises to move in the midst of it. Well, you might say, well, why can he not stop these things? Sometimes corruption and sometimes evil is better overcome from the inside out. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Sometimes God wants to come and move in the midst for sustainable, lasting hope. God could fix it in a heartbeat. But how many know you and I still need to have a renewing of our minds? We humans don't get it all the time. But God wants to use us to see the people around us transformed. Why don't you stand? The stories that are coming out of Ukraine at the moment are showing us that hope always wins. That even though death is real, it never has the final say. We have eternity. What are we focusing on? I know we have to become a people that don't fear death. 
but we're willing to lay our lives down so that people may know the God of hope, Jesus, that they may put their hope in Jesus and that fear and anxiety can't coexist. Our communities are dying for hope. Oh, they're so dying for hope. I talk to people, I, I walk through the streets and you can just smell the drug abuse. You can just smell the hopelessness. You can see all of the, the, the lottery tickets. You can see people are searching for security. They're searching for hope. People in this room, we all are. And they're dying for it. They've nowhere else to look. And we are going to be, we have St. Patrick's Day next week. We've Easter not long after. We've outreaches. We have so much opportunities to be a people and a beacon of hope. We have to be the beacon of hope. It's not worth knowing about it. It's not worth just having it in our heads. Are we willing to love? And I believe God wants to, to do a work in you that gives you, that removes the fear of man and does hope on the inside of you that it goes, I have to give this away. That we would be a people that would awaken hope, but we carry that burden. But we'd seek it. It's the word seek. It's not if you come across it. It's seek it. It's intentionality. It's, it's a hunger. It's a something birth. It's supernatural hope. He says that you would abound in it. It's not something of your mind. It's something that eats at your soul to say there's more. And there's possibilities for our community and for your life. So maybe you're here and you've lost hope. I'm, I'm gonna pray. I believe God wants to give you supernatural hope that, there, that your circumstances are not the end. That he wants to lead you through. So Father, right now we pray, would you come? If you wanna receive an injection of hope, put your hands out. Your hand on your heart. Get to a place. Whatever you need to do. We need to accept. You can't first get an injection hope if you don't realize you've lost it. So Father, would you come and pour your hope upon us as a community? You are our living hope. You live on the inside of us. And Father, would you come and, and, and do something on us that you would be our assurance, our stability, but you would be our drive to give it away. So Father, I pray, would you come upon your people? Spirit of God, would you come? We ask that you would pour out your spirit so that we may be filled with joy and peace and believing so that we may be abounded in hope. And today we will go with, I just pray in the bellies of our bellies, in the, in the guts of our guts, in the, in the depths of our soul right now, Spirit of God, would you search our mind and our spirits and would you deposit that seed of hope that is you, your life, death and resurrection. That, and that you have the final say. Spirit, right now, come and minister. Come and move. Regardless of what we've done, if we've messed up, we screwed up, or if we don't feel like we're holy enough, God, I pray that's not their hope. Their hope is in you and your, your grace to give it. So God, come right now.